Welcome to the Culture and Sports Podcast, where we have discussions about how leadership and organizational culture impact organizational success, team and athlete performance, and the short and long-term mental, physical, and emotional health of athletes. The Culture and Sports Podcast is brought to you by Culture and Sports. Culture and Sports helps sports organizations, teams, coaches, support and front office staff, and athletes understand the importance of leadership and organizational culture and its direct impact to success. I'm Dr. Jeremy Piasecki, and this is the Culture and Sports Podcast. Welcome back to the Culture and Sports Podcast, where we discuss the impact of leadership and organizational culture on organizational success, team and athlete performance, and the short and long-term mental, physical, and emotional health of athletes. I'd like to introduce you to Aaron McGuire. He's the CEO of USA Bobsled and Skeleton, and previously worked at the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee and USA Track and Field. He earned his Bachelor of Arts in Secondary Education from the University of Akron and an MBA from the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I understand that you were a collegiate athlete and even competed on Team USA, but please tell us a little about your sports journey. Hey, thanks for having me. Exciting to be here. Looking forward to our conversation. Really appreciate it. Um, yeah, so I, I actually grew up a, a, um, a high-energy kid. And my parents' philosophy was feed them, let them run around, burn out the energy, and put them to sleep. And so I was involved in a lot of different sports growing up. I started playing soccer at age four, uh, ran track and field, was on the diving team, swam, it, just tried everything and, and really enjoyed a lot of different sports. And it was, for me, a great outlet, great way to make friends, um, helped me develop as a person. And so as I worked through high school and played multiple sports, I, I decided that track and field was the sport that I was most passionate about and the sport that I was likely going to be the most successful at. And so I uh, went to the University of Akron for my undergraduate, as you mentioned, and was a was a walk-on track athlete there and a pole vaulter and hurdler. Mm-hmm. And my first year, I uh, did those two sports and uh, two events, and the coach called me over and said, hey, Aaron, we noticed you work really hard, but to be honest with you, you're not really good enough in either of those two sports, those two events. <laughs> so I said, well, well, thanks for the honest feedback. And they said, well, uh, there's good news. We've got an event that's that's might be perfect for you. And the key is you just have to be average in 10 events. And it's called the, the, the decathlon. <laughs> and so I said, that sounds perfect. That sounds great. I've you know, got the two hardest events already. Pole vault and hurdles figured out. And so started doing the decathlon and, and really fell in love with it. And, and like the challenge, like um, really thinking about how do I best spend my time to have the biggest impact on my overall performance? And do I, do I spend time in training the events that I'm good at, or do I spend time in, in getting you know the events that I'm not so good at, improving those? And so over the next three or four seasons, um, end up breaking the school record, getting a, school, a scholarship, mm-hmm. which was you know, obviously great great feedback and, and a great way to, to, to end my collegiate career. Um, but after I graduated, I, I, you know, like many athletes had that, that uh, desire to continue on. And I, I knew that, you know, I knew my limits within track and field. I knew I'd gotten pretty far as, you know, pretty much as far as I was going to get. Um, but I, I, you know, like many people watched cool runnings and I, I watched <laughs> and, and seen other track athletes made that transition over the sport of bobsled. And so uh, called up the, the, the Bobsled Federation at the time and said, how does one get involved? And they invited me out to a rookie camp in a, in a, in a tryout in Lake Placid at the Olympic Training Center at the time. 
and went out there and, and um, I, you know, I, I'd been training for bobsled my entire career, doing all different sports, doing the decathlon, right. working on speed, power, and explosion, and I didn't even realize it at the time. And so went out there and, and things just clicked, and, and the training that I had been doing transitioned over to the sport of bobsled and and the ability to start the sled. And you know, that's one of the things that we we talk a lot about and we, we really promote is that that athletes. There's very few athletes that grow up being a bobsledder or a skeleton athlete. 99% of the, the athletes come from another sport. They've either played football, they've played baseball or softball or volleyball, done CrossFit, but they've been in some sort of speed, power, and explosive sport. And if they have the right body type and they're the right age, then there's really a great opportunity for them to make that that transition into the sport. <laughs> so when you said you're a walk-on athlete, um... Were you like a swimmer and a diver that all of a sudden you're like, hey, uh, you know, NCAA athletics, I'll just I'll just do track and field. Or, or what was your transition to I, get there? I had been doing track and field since I was in junior high. So I, I had played oh, soccer okay. through high school, <laughs> ran track and field starting in junior high, swam, dove. So I wasn't just doing those those sports. I continued on everything else. And so um, made that transition. And, and again, being a, a high school pole vaulter or, or hurdler, that did help set me up for success in the, in the decathlon. And then once I got into in the, in the bobsled and, and um, there's a lot of things that we can do in terms of testing and pushing sleds on wheels or on ice in the off season, but you really don't know if, if the sport of bobsled or skeleton is going to be one that you like until you try it. And so it wasn't for a few more months that I had a chance to go down and go down a track for the first time. And um, for, for our rookies, um, there's there's really two things for for a successful athlete. One is they come into the sport and they've got the the athleticism to push a sled and to get down the track. The other is do they like the sport? And so some athletes come out to the sport, they take a bobsled ride, and they they get to the bottom and you can see this look on their face and they they you know immediately ask how quickly can I get back to the top of the track and do that again. <laughs> And you got some athletes that come down and you're going now, you know, keep in mind, you're going 80, 90 miles an hour, pulling three, four, five G's of force. There's no airbags. There's no cushioning in the sled. And you're going down that track fast. And you have other athletes that, that get off the track and you can see the look on their face and they're a little bit more pale and, you, you know, something. It's been an experience. And they, instead of asking how quickly they can back, get, get back to the top of the track, they say, how quickly can I get back to the airport to get, get home and never do this again? And so when we have athletes that show up that can push a sled and, and have that excitement, uh, you know, on their face. And we know that we've, we've found the right type of athlete. And so, um, you know, I just, that first trip, I said, this is, this is cool. I'm going to do this for the next, you know, through the next quad and, and, um, spent three years, um, three seasons on the national team, um, competed. I didn't. I missed the Olympic team, but did World Championships, World Cup mm -hmm. races in Italy, Germany, Switzerland, France, Austria, Canada, the United States, and and uh, you know there was definitely no greater honor than than wearing a uniform that's red, white, and blue, and and having a chance to represent our country in international competition. So, kind of coming in on the end of what we were saying, like, what is your favorite memory, like, of all of your sporting career? as an athlete yeah that's 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 um that's so many and, and i think about sports and they have such an impact on on my life and i know on on many others lives and i know that that 
um, you know, talk to some athletes and they talk about a medal or a win. And, and um, for me, one of the best memories was, was having that team and having teammates and, and having that common goal that we were all working towards and, and spending time in, in Europe and, and driving around from city to city. And, and you know, unlike mm -hmm. NASCAR or, or Formula One or IndyCar, we don't, we don't you know, bobsled athletes, skeleton athletes, there's no pit crew that, that gets everything prepped and the sled ready and waxed and at the line you just kind of show up and, you know, throw off your jacket and hop in. I mean, the team, it's, it's a blue-collar sport, and, and, and literally the team is the, the pit crew. And sometimes we'll we'll travel with a, a sled mechanic or a sled tech that that helps with with damage to the sled or or getting the sled uh, prepped. But the sleds are six hundred pounds, and and it's the team that wakes up early, that gets the sled prepped, that moves the sled and drives it out to the track, unloads it, then warms up outside in you know freezing cold weather, freezing you know thirty degree, twenty degree you know, zero degrees, some locations, and you're warming up outdoors. Then you're getting in and you, and you either train or you compete. And then you're packing everything back up into the, the truck. And at the end of the day, you're going back to the hotel and you're prepping the sled for, for the next day of competition or training. And so, um, you know, really getting to, to, to make some, some lifelong friends that I'm still, you know, very well connected with. Um, Still, you know, there's a few that I, I work side by side with right now um, at USA Bobsled Skeleton, and and you know these are friends that will be will be um, you know in in connection with in contact with through the rest of my life. Now, who had the most impact on your career as an athlete? I would say that my my well my parents at a young age, getting me involved in sports and exposing me to, to sports. I, you know, I certainly give them a lot of credit for that. And I, I think they were, um, you know, they, they recognized early on that, that I, I, I guess it was high energy, but, but really liked, like the sports and liked the, the teamwork and, and like to push myself. So certainly give that, give them a lot of credit, but I think, um, you know, aside from them, coaches, you know, various coaches that I've, that I've had and worked with throughout, throughout my athletic career and, and coaches I work with these days, you know, they have such an impact on, on an athlete themselves. And, and um, you know, there's the technical aspect of, of whatever it is, whatever the craft is of that sport that you're learning from a coach. But you're also learning how to be a person, how to be a better person. And, and we often talk about, um, you know, what's at the end of, of an athletic career and, and what, what are the achievements. But we also, we also talk about who do you become at the end of an athletic career and, and how do you set yourself up? How do you take what you've learned and set yourself up for success in that next, next stage in life, which is often your professional career. And when we talk with athletes, um, you ask athletes who are retiring or making that transition, you know, what did, what did you learn? You know, when you were a bobsled or a skeleton athlete and they're, you know, they're talking about, Oh, we learned how to sand runners. We learned how to, you know, push a bobsled or a skeleton. We knew how we learned how to, um, you know, prep a sled and you say, yeah, you did learn all those things, but, but, you know, those aren't necessarily transferable skills. You know, you're not going to be able to become a bobsled or skeleton coach, but along with those things, you learn work ethic, you learn how to, you know, become a, an expert at, at a, at a craft or a skill. Um, you learn mm -hmm. how to set goals and work as a team and, and be a leader. And those are all transferable skills. And so any, any career that you're moving into, um, you know, the, the company that you may work with, 
might find it interesting that you know how to sand runners on a bobsled or skeleton, but they're going to be more interested that you came into a sport that you knew nothing about, became an expert, and <laughs> that sets you up to be successful in that sport. And if you can do that within bobsled or skeleton or any, any sport, you can do that within any career as well. Oh, exactly. And especially competing at such a high level, uh, conducting analysis is probably a huge thing, you know, just reading courses or or reading um, how you ran through those courses or where your body positioning was and how to adjust those things uh, and read analysis about other teams and what makes them successful. I mean, and, and just, um, you know, just competition at such a high level. I mean, there's so many things that are beneficial for athletes transitioning into their their next career. They're, you know, they're, you know, behind the desk or, or, um, you know, out in a construction site career. <laughs> absolutely. No, absolutely. And so, there's, you know, yeah. there's, there's, there's so many things and whether it's a career or a family or a relationship, I mean, those, those are, again, are all transferable skills that as a, as an mm -hmm. individual, you, you develop and, and sometimes it's, you don't necessarily recognize it, but, but, um, it's important to stop and, and, and think about what, what that process and what that journey was like. So you talked earlier about, um, you know, positive impact. Um, what, tell me a little bit more about the, the impact that positive leadership has had on you. So yeah, po positive leadership, leadership is, is something that I've, I've looked at and studied quite a bit and, and you learn a lot from, um, leaders who are doing a really good job and you learn a lot from leaders that aren't and, and, you know, one of the things that I've always found is that um, one of the most important things in leadership is, is getting buy-in and and really recognizing mm -hmm. that you can't do everything by yourself. And it does take take a team, you know, otherwise you'd be doing a one-person job. And so, you know, the first part of, of really understanding leadership is understanding what it is that you're trying to accomplish. And then once you understand what it is that you're trying to accomplish, understanding your own strengths and weaknesses as well as recognizing what are the people that you need to surround yourself or who are the people that you need to surround yourself right. with in order to ensure that you have the right team working together towards that towards that common goal so so i mean you've already answered a couple of my questions with 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 your one answer that there but um you know, throughout your sports career, whether it was as an athlete or a staff member, when did you feel most valued and why was that important to you? I'll say um, one of the things that I've, I've noticed within our organization that I think is, is, a, is, a, is a great step is that um, the amount of, amount of energy it takes to, to do routine tasks and day-to-day -day tasks. And I, I stepped in during a, a time when the organization um, a lot of change within the organization. There were some staff members, um, you know, folks that were coming and going, and, and um, it was just there was a lot of flux. And, and I stepped in during during COVID. And so not only was I learning a new role for myself individually, but we had a number of, of folks on on the team and the staff that 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 were that were new, as well as some some veterans. So it was an interesting mix of of, of folks. And then. Um, then we had COVID. We were faced with COVID, and so you know we were everybody in, in the world was faced with COVID. And how do you navigate it? And and add you know add a layer of complexity. We had the Olympic Games the next year in 2022 in, in Beijing, so that mm -hmm. we we're set, set ourselves up for. And so you know it was just 
a lot of time and a lot of energy just to do day-to-day routine activities with within our staff and our coaches. You know, partly because because there was a lot of change within the organization, and partly because it, because of adaptions to COVID and having to navigate through it. And so, um, you know, so one of the things that I've recognized in the last in the last year is that things that took a lot of phone calls, a lot of emails, a lot of meetings, you know, getting people caught up to speed took a lot of time and energy. And and because it took so much time and energy, when things came up that were, were unexpected or out of the blue or a change, we really didn't have the bandwidth to, to work through it and, and or work through it properly. And so we were we were so focused on on these daily routines that anything that you know anything that came at us we were just weren't prepared for. Uh, we didn't have the we didn't have the bandwidth we didn't have the staffing we didn't have you know the the we weren't we weren't ready for it. And so now I st- I started to feel like okay we've we've gotten alignment within our within our organization and our, our staff people are in uh, roles and they understand what their um, you know what their goal, individual goal is, and how they fit in with the team. They understand their their responsibilities. What are they responsible for? What are they not responsible for? So that we don't have uh, multiple multiple staff members overlapping and working on the same thing. We also don't have gaps within our responsibilities. Um, and mm-hmm. so things that that you know took a lot of time, a lot of energy. Those first couple of years are now a, a lot smoother. They they take fewer phone calls, fewer emails, fewer meetings. And now we're able to do the day-to-day activities, and we're, we're able to be a bit more proactive as opposed to being reactive. And that gives us the time to be much more innovative or think differently. And it gives us time to think, how can we be more efficient? That also gives us the time when, when something comes up that we have to adapt to or adjust to or kind of just hit the timeout button and say, okay, how are we going to deal with this? We can actually sit mm-hmm. down and talk about it collect the information and and look at multiple options and move forward with with the best option no that that makes so much sense um you were talking about uh overcoming adversity and uh, a little bit of resiliency um you know because of covid and obviously because of other things like injuries or or crashes or i mean there's so many things uh where there's athletes or support staff or the national governing body as a whole, uh, where they're overcoming adversity or uh, being extraordinarily resilient. Um, you know, can you talk a little bit more about the resiliency of uh, USA Bobsled and Skeleton from COVID and from and from some other things that that you all have been dealing with recently? Um, I would say that we're a much more adaptable organization and much more resilient organization than we were prior to COVID. And and when prior to COVID, when something would change or we have to adapt, it, it it created waves. And there were a lot of ways that waves that we had to work through and respond to, and a lot of questions and a lot of questioning what the best course of action would be, and and second guessing a lot of a lot of decisions. And now having worked through COVID and, and having to think about okay, how do we find ways to train as a team and we can't, you know, we're bobsled. You have, you know, two people or four people, four men in a bobsled in close, you know, close proximity. We weren't doing a, a six foot distancing in, in the sport of bobsled. Right. So we had to be really creative of how do we get people in, test them, you know, ensure the best, the best possible, the safest possible environment. And, and 
that caused a, a lot of change. And, and so um, having to adapt with the season, even a season, not knowing whether we're going to have a full season, a partial season or no season, people had to get comfortable being uncomfortable and, and the unknown. Everybody wants to, everybody wants to know, everybody likes to know exactly what's going to happen. What are we doing this season? How, you know, what's right, it because change what's is scary. <laughs> it, it just changed so often. And, and um, right. We had to be comfortable not knowing. And so now when, when there is a change, we've gotten a lot better at, at anticipating what questions we're going to have ahead of time, but we've also gotten better at communicating that change out. Uh, and, you know, in a timely manner, but also at a time when we know we feel confident about what the plan is going to be. And so it doesn't create more uh, uncertainty. And so now when we, we communicate a change or a change comes up, um, we communicate that out instead of instead of massive waves and, and um, you know, more confusion. We're now getting ripples. And, and, and so people are. are you know, from not only the athletes, but our coaching staff and our, our, our staff themselves, we're, we're, you know, much better at, 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 you know, adapting. And if a plan changed as opposed to second guessing or thinking about what it could have been or should have been, okay, here's the plan. We're going to move forward. And how do we maximize and make the most out of, out of this plan? So with all of, I mean, even before COVID, uh, and then obviously during COVID, um, why was creating alignment and and getting buy-in from everyone incredibly important, you know, at USA Bobsled and Skeleton? Yeah, I, I would say that alignment's really important at, at any organization. You know, certainly with our organization, when I stepped in, I, I'd say that we had a lot of really good people that were really doing really good things. Um, but not not everybody was, it wasn't necessarily clear what everybody was doing. And you'd have some folks that had, you know, a very, a great idea or a passionate passion project or a passion initiative and they were kind of off doing it over here and somebody else would have another idea mm -hmm. about the best way to do it and they're doing it over here and you know it goes back to that efficiencies if if we have everybody kind of doing their own thing then then you know we're we're, we're kind of spinning our wheels and so right stepping in and and listening to everybody and, and asking questions right away okay what is it that you're you're currently doing what what is it that you, you're currently doing and are there things that you should you feel like you should be doing or are there things that are you know being dropped that that the organization should be doing and so starting to hear from them of what is it that they're currently doing gave me a better perspective of again what's what, where do we have multiple staff members or, or multiple coaches maybe doing the same thing and doing it two different ways or where do we have multiple you know multiple people all working around a certain area, but there's a key element that's not being picked up or, or, or being ignored until the last possible moment. And then it's a matter of, okay, who's, you know, whose responsibility this and everybody's, you know, hands go down. And so it's, it's, it's <laughs> a matter of, of, uh, you know, understanding, okay, what's everybody doing? What needs to get, get done. And then once we understand what needs to get done, then going through and saying, okay, who does it make the most sense to be doing be doing certain activities. Yeah, no, that makes so much sense. So before um, you and I started this episode uh, between our correspondence and talking, um, I really want to know, and I'd really like you to explain this to our audience, how do you build teams both on and off the ice uh, to perform at the highest levels? Yeah, 
building teams is again i think it's important to know what what needs to be what needs to be accomplished you know on the ice in in bobsled when we have you know two man two woman or four man sleds um part of that you know a big part of it is is there's objective criteria you know what are what are the 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 you know the best push athletes and we can test athletes individually in in combinations to give us a, a good idea um but but one component is versatility and in a four-man sled you have the pilot but you also have three additional push positions and you have a push athlete that pushes from the left side an athlete that pushes from the right side and the one that pushes from the, the back or the brakes and so there are certain athletes that that um only push from one position you know i only push from the right side or i only push from the left side or i'm only a brakeman and and that limits their their versatility and so when we're pushing uh, when putting putting teams together, that that does play a role, and and we need to be anticipating, you know, what happens if an athlete gets injured this season, and if we if we only have athletes that can push from one position, then then we're going to be in trouble. And so we're always thinking in the back of our minds, you know, here's an athlete that can only push from one position, but here's another athlete that can push from two or three positions, and if that's the case, and they're pushing about the same. We want that athlete that's a bit more versatile that can that can wear multiple hats can can you know is the first one to raise their hand when we say okay we need someone to push from this side or replace somebody else and so thinking about those those objective criteria but then also anticipating what could could happen and if something does happen like an injury or um you know if someone someone retires then anticipating that 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 could happen Having a backup plan um, is always going to be is always going to play a role in putting that team together, and then there's always the the dynamics, and and that's that's with the bobsled team, but there's always always the the dynamics of of um, a team of coaches and a, and a staff of coaches, and and so having a, a you know a combination of those that have been veterans along with some some new coaches or new staff members that had some fresh ideas. I've noticed works really well. Um, if you all, if you have a, a lot of folks that are brand new, then there's a lot of learning to be done. If you have a lot of folks that have been involved for a long time, then there's a lot of folks that that are used to doing a certain way. And so having that that uh, you know diversity of experience uh, certainly goes a long a long way because you get you get the knowledge base along with some fresh ideas, um, some outside the box thinking. So I've heard some very positive things about uh, your national governing body and the direction of it, uh, not only from people inside, but also outside your organization. Um, why do you believe that um, your organization is going in a positive direction, um, you know, in the, in the way of uh, organizational culture? Um, and how do the athletes and coaches and staff benefit from that? Well, appreciate you saying that. That's great to hear. Um, you know, we're certainly working every day to, to improve the organization, and, and you know, we're all here because we're, we're passionate about what we're doing. And and many of us who are part of the organization that were former athletes at one time, so we know the challenges that athletes face, and so we're, we're constantly trying to improve. Um, so so going back to you know where you know what are the things that we're focusing in, in on? Um, say say two things. One is was li is listening. And and that's always something that I say is is the most important thing when you come into any organization or any situation is is 
ask a lot of questions and and listen a lot and and that will you know you'll you'll get an understanding of what are the the highest priorities what's working well and what's not working well and you know it kind of takes me back to my decathlon days of you know what events are we doing really well at what events are we not doing so well at and how do we balance that time and, and focus our energy and so um one of the things that we we do and this is something that i have learned over the over the over the years is is that communication loop and 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 not only receiving information but but checking to make sure that that information that we've received or heard is accurate and then talking about the next steps and so when i first stepped into the, into the role I asked a lot of questions um, had some very complex surveys that asked a lot of questions that get, gave me a lot of information which was good for me very early on but at some point it it, it almost became information overload and what i was doing right. was taking that information and using it to help make decisions and help drive priorities and i and i just kind of assumed that if if i heard listened to everybody heard them and then we we were doing some new things then people would recognize it people would pick up on it and and say oh yeah they, they you know he heard me the coaches heard me the staff heard me but one of the things that i found and this is something that that, that as a as a leader i've i've evolved is that you really do have to take those other steps you got to listen and so now when we do the surveys um they're much they're much simpler they're much to the much more to the point where i was doing 25 or 30 or 40 questions before now i ask you know just a few simple questions one is you know is, um it's always interesting to do a, a like a five point scale of where we are because you can compare yourself from year to year but but in all reality, most of the time we're going to get that that average bell curve where most people are pretty satisfied. You know, some love you and some hate you, and that's the way it's going to be. But I started asking a question of of um, during your time in the sport, do you think the organization is is improving, um, getting worse, or or staying about the same? And and that gives me a perspective of of you know from everybody that's involved, are we are we getting better? Are we taking strides forward? Um, we know we're never going to be perfect, but can we can we each year get a little bit better, you know, get a little bit better, get a little bit more efficient, bring something in new. And so that's been a really helpful question for me to just gauge what's, you know, kind of what's our compass, you know, is our compass pointing north or are we heading south here? And so that's a great question that I've, you know, asked, two, you know, three more questions. What's the organization doing well at? Where can we improve? And is there anything else you want to share with me? And summarizing that that information, I start to to, to see some some common themes, um, some consistency, and some feedback that affects a lot of athletes. And so, uh, what we've done, or what I've done, is is taken that feedback, uh, summarized it, and then shared it out with the athletes and and asked the question, Hey, is this this is what I'm hearing? Am I missing anything? This is what I've this is what we've you know summarized, and and you know is it is it is it accurate? And so that's the check to say, okay, have, have I interpreted or understood what you said? And then as a third step, what I've done is, is gone back and said, okay, based on the feedback, ask for your feedback, summarize the feedback. Based on that, here are the steps that we're going to do to improve and put it in writing to say, we're going to do these six things or these eight things in the, the, the next season. And, and that, that's really, um, to me, I think that helps that close that communication loop um, and and helps with clarity and then 
as a final step, what I'll do is when this season's over, they'll go back and, and identify and talk about those six or eight steps and say, okay, we've done five of them or we've done all six of them. And, and here's where we are with them. And I think that that, that does provide some closure to, to, to the entire, to the entire feedback process. So when in the feedback process, when you've got, you know, great reviews, like this is the best sport I've, you know, I've ever competed in. This is the best organization I've ever been on. You know, that's obviously nice to hear, right? Like you're like, oh, we're doing great things. Yeah. Uh, obviously you have great buy-in with those athletes, right? Or, or staff members or coaches. But how about those that are on the op opposite end of the spectrum? Uh, when you receive like some pretty negative feedback, um, is your first response to be like, oh, they don't know what they're talking about? Or are you looking at it and saying, like, not only what can I do better, but like, what what are the major themes that we might not actually be seeing, but might be lurking in the background or that we're choosing not to see? Like, where do you fit in there? Um, and, and what do you do from that point on? Yeah. Yeah, and it, I mean, I think you hit spot. You know, you're spot on there. It's it's great to get that positive feedback. We love you. You guys are the best. Um, you know, let's that's great. So it gives us a chance to like we want to we want to hear that. Let's let's take a victory lap. But that that's you know, if you really want to get better, that's not the, that's not the feedback you don't listen to. And so cueing in on on common themes or folks that that you know are your your biggest the 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 folks are the biggest. Um, communicators of things that are that are that could be improved or issues and i think that their natural reaction often is to your point they don't know what they're talking about and and um but you got to kind of move past that natural reaction because a lot of those a lot of times those are the folks that are the most critical and the most skeptical and if you're able to listen to them because sometimes that there's a lot of emotion behind it and that emotion might be mm -hmm. unrelated. You know, they didn't make the team and therefore, you know, everything's wrong with the organization and they may have, might not, may have not made the team because of an injury. And so if you can separate the emotion and, and what's there from what is being said and the facts that are being said, and, and you, you look at yourself and you give yourself an honest assessment, assessment to say, are these accurate? Is this an accurate, depiction of what's going on are these are these um you know are, are these are these critical are we are we just not doing well in these areas and if that's okay true then that's where we need to spend some 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 focus if if it isn't true and and there are some some comments that are being made that that you know aren't necessarily true it could be because that individual may not be informed and may not understand what the situation is. And so, you know, that's also our responsibility to, to help, you know, our, our athlete population, our group of athletes understand as best we can, you know, why we make certain decisions, why we prioritize certain things. And a lot of what we talk about is, is team and our priority. Um, our goal is not necessarily to field an Olympic team. And that may be different from, um, an, an individual athlete might, their goal might be to make the Olympic team. We're always going to send athletes to the Olympic games. Our goal is to be on the podium and put athletes in position to be at, at, you know, be a medalist at the Olympic games. And so there are times that, that our priorities as a team perspective or putting athletes on the podium in a position to be on the podium might be different from, from an individual athlete who their goal is to make the national team or make a world cup team or make an Olympic Olympic games. 
And so, so being, being very clear and upfront and, and to be, be honest to say, sometimes, you know, our decisions that we make are, are for the best interest of the team, but they may not be in your specific best interest because our goals may not align entirely. And, and, um, you know, going back to your, your original question, um, asked about, about team culture. And, and so one of the things that we've really been talking about is team values and, and really creating opportunities for athletes to identify what their own team values are going to be. And you think about, you know, skeletons and individual sport. Uh, there's a new event in bobsled called Monobob. It was introduced in, in 2022. Mm-hmm. Women's bobsled, one athlete, they push, they get in individual sports. Um, but we, but we are a team and we do know that if we are working as a team and we hold each other to a certain level, to a certain expectation, then, then we're all collectively going to be better. And we're all going to be putting ourselves in a position for the team to be successful at world cup, uh, North American cup races, uh, world championships and Olympic games. And so this, this last summer, um, we always meet as we always get our national team together and we, we, we go somewhere in, in the, in the off season and spend two or three days sitting down talking when, um, it's a lower stress environment. It's not in the middle the middle of competition when, when emotions are running, right. but it's a time away from, um, competition when things are lower and we get to, we get to know each other a little bit better. We do some team building activities and we do some classroom discussions and we we have some fun and that really helps strengthen those relationships so that way when we do get into the season when those relationships are stronger then we're we're going to handle that stressful environment that much better Mm -hmm. and so one of the things that we talked a lot about this year was was team values and so we went through a process of of talking about individual values and and saying okay as an individual what's what's important to you and and what are certain values that, that you want to live? And so as we, we worked through that process, it went from individual values to, to team values. And in order for us to be successful, what are the values that we need to identify and then own in order for, to be successful and, and work together? And, you know, this is not something that, that I, I showed up with a, with a dry erase board or a PowerPoint and said, okay, here's going to be our team values. I asked the team, you know, what values do you all want to have? And they came up with a, with amazing team values about respect, about about you know being on time, about teamwork, um, about being compassionate, about being good people, and 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 I and the the intent was by providing the opportunity for athletes to to raise these team values and, and our coaches as well. Then there's a sense of ownership and a sense of okay, if I'm I'm saying this is important, then I'm going to live it myself. And, and to start to get that buy-in of, of that ownership of, of those team values. Then we took it one step farther, right. for, farther to say, okay, what do these team values mean? What are the standards? What do, how do we want to hold ourselves accountable? And, you know, respect. Respect means, you know, being to a team meeting on time and not showing up late and making everybody everybody wait. And so uh, took it one step further. And so we're talking a lot about the, the team values because, what we do is really important, but how we go about doing it is just as important. And it's that right. what we do on the track, what we do in training, what we do in the weight room, what we do in competition, but it's how we conduct ourselves. And it's those two elements that are really going to um, provide that foundation and structure for, for being successful in the future. 
So let's talk a little bit more about values. Um, you know, because I strongly believe in values, um, uh, just like I strongly believe in uh, perceptions and um, other things based off of um, like how we were raised, um, you know, whether it was at home or or at school or on a sports team or just the community in general. So perceptions, biases, values, morals, um, all those things. Um, with you having those all, all of those, um, do you take those into account when you're working with everyone in the organization, whether it's, you know, coaches, uh, front office staff, support staff, um, you know, athletes, even fans, like, um, you know, do you ever catch yourself and, and say, well, just because I believe this from the day I was born doesn't necessarily mean that, that everyone else believes it. Um, you know, where do you catch yourself? Uh, or do you think that your morals and perceptions and biases and values really align with most of the people in your organization? Yeah, I'd say we're, we're very fortunate to have a great group of, of people that are involved. And, and, you know, part of it is that, that, no one's getting rich. I mean, there's no million dollar contracts out there for bobsledders or skeleton athletes. You know, that's just the fact of it. And so um, people are involved because they care a lot about it. They want to represent the country. And I'd say they're, they're involved for the right reasons. And we're, we're a very interesting sport because there's, while there's only two tracks in the United States, Lake Placid, New York, and, and Park City, Utah, because because our athletes come from other sports and their talent transfer sports, they come from all all fifty states, all you know, all part of the country, all different backgrounds. Um, you know, the one commonality is that they they played a sport, like you know, they played a sport before they got into bobsled or skeleton. Um, but different backgrounds. It, it, but I would say that that again, they're they're all really good people, and they want you know everybody wants to make the right decision, and so. Um, you know, we all recognize there's there's no shortcuts to success, and so mm -hmm. a lot of times we're we're faced with with decisions, and you know it could be working with a partner or or identifying a certain athlete and encouraging them to get involved, and and um, there's times when we're faced with with that kind of moral dilemma: do we do we, you know, do we tell them what they want to hear? Do we do we take a shortcut and and um, identify or, or take on a sponsor that may not align with with what we're doing may not be an authentic sponsor that just says hey you know we'll write you a check and and you just endorse us and tell you know tell everybody that we're we're the right product and so you know anytime we bring on a new a new sponsor we we test it with the athletes and we say is this, is this something that you would you would use whether it's a service or a product and if the athletes come back right. and say, no I, I wouldn't use it this isn't something i would do then 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 we go back to that sponsor we say no thank you because uh, we know it's it's we know what the outcome is is going to be, and it's like spoiler alert. We've seen the last chapter. It ends with everybody leaving and being being frustrated and angry with each other, and and that it didn't work right. out. And so we we talk with them and and we look for authentic partners that that align with us. And there's a lot of times that we'll make decisions, and oftentimes it it may um, be more difficult or be more time consuming or maybe maybe cost a little bit more, but. You know, we, we always say, you know, we can justify it by saying it's it's the right thing to do. And it's not, you know, we're not right with somebody. We're not, you know, we're not trying to take advantage of somebody. And we're, we're, we're always trying to make decisions because it's the right thing to do. Whether it's how we how we support our athletes, um, you know, being fair with them and, and providing them consistent support 
or whether it's with a partner and, and, and doing the right thing with them, whether it's, you know, from the very beginning of a partnership or the very end of a partnership. And, and, and one of the things I've found is that sports is a, is a small, you know, whether, because, you know, regardless of whether it's thousands and millions of athletes and, you know, different sports, it's a small world. And, and it is, it really is. And you just can't, you just can't burn bridges and, and you, and you have to pe treat people the right way, uh, treat them with respect and, and be fair with them and, and be honest with them. And if you do that, then, then, you know, a lot of times you can say no to them, but if you do it in a respectful way and you explain it, they can go away and, and they understand why the decision had to, had to be no. Okay. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, um, and you explained a lot and I really hope that those who are listening and watching, uh, you know, definitely take, uh, what Aaron said, uh, just a few moments ago, um, you know, and really think about it and reflect on it because it's extraordinarily important, um, you know, just on what doing the right thing really means, um, especially when it's hard. Uh, you know, my example, uh, was when I, uh, I don't know if everyone knows this, but, um, I introduced sport of water polo to Afghanistan. I found a pool filled with trash. I convinced basically the local mayor to clean it up and fill it with water. And in exchange, I would teach, um, you know, the villages people or the people, of the village to swim and play a game called water hand soccer, because there's no literal translation to water polo. Um, I then ended up leading um, the national aquatics programs in Afghanistan for about 13 years until, unfortunately, the Taliban uh, seized power in Afghanistan. Um, but the reason that I bring that I bring this up is at the beginning when we first started, there were, you know, a couple of bad actors, we'll call them, who really wanted to fund the programs that we were building uh, because they wanted to be the known person for them. But the way they got their money and the, and the way they were doing things and the reasons they wanted to be involved in the National Aquatics programs by writing a check or in this case, giving cash, um, they were doing it for the wrong reasons. And it was extraordinarily important to us as an organization, as an aquatics federation, to make sure that the right people were involved for the right reasons. Um, and I know sometimes that's hard. People are dangling a large amount of money in front of you, uh, which I'm sure has happened to USA Bobsled and Skeleton several times. Uh, you know, it could be, you know, seven figures or six figures, a large amount of money that could like really fund a large chunk of a, of a year, um, and to turn it down, uh, for those, uh, right reasons, because, you know, who you are willing to bring into your circle is incredibly important. And then if you're making choices because of a bad actor, um, are you really doing the right thing? Um, and I know that you definitely agree with that, Aaron, because you're the one who started this part of the conversation. <laughs> well, that's amazing what you did. That's, you know, that's, I mean, that's exactly what we're, what we're trying to do as well. Do the right thing. And, and, you know, we, we, we get fixated on medals and, you know, you watch Olympic games and it's all about the medal count. And, you know, the reality is that medals are important, but, but we're, there is, there's a bigger impact from sport on, on individuals on on groups and, and teams and so you know we are doing something that that is larger than than winning medals and getting results and we're 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 impacting lives and that's what sport does and sport exactly provides that avenue for people to develop and people to become you know there's there's two paths you either leverage sport and become one of those bad actors and and you use sport and you you know you leave and you're frustrated and angry and you focus on the negative um, or you're, you're, 
you're cheating and you're 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 taking shortcuts. Or you say, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna use my values. I'm gonna I'm gonna take the the team values that I've discussed and 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 live by and use that to help drive decisions and and decisions not only while doing sport but but outside of sport. And and we say we're we're helping develop athletes, but we're also you know on a much larger scale helping develop people and and humans. And that's that's a that's a much bigger um, goal and. But it's it's certainly something that that we talk a lot about, and when we when we have athletes that come back to us and they they're able to, um, you know, recognize that sometimes they didn't they didn't achieve everything that they wanted to within the sport, but they're able to right. say, you know, I'm a better person today because of my experience. Then that's when we know that we've right. we've, we've we've truly been successful in what we're trying to accomplish um, within bobsled skeleton. But you know, at the Olympic Games and Paralympic Games, one of my favorite memories at the Olympic Games and I've had a chance to go to, to I've been involved with about five or six and, and been on site to to, to three of them uh, stayed in the village of two of them and one of my favorite locations in the Olympic Games, best memories in the Olympic Games is the cafeteria, the dining hall and it's this massive, massive dining hall that seats thousands of athletes and you can really gauge where you are within the Olympic Games based on the energy level that's in in the in the the dining hall, and you show up there in the first couple of days, you see teams all sitting together. The U.S. team is sitting at these two tables. The German team sitting over here. The Chinese team is over here, and and you know you've got smaller countries that are sharing a table, but they're all together. They're all wearing their team gear, and that's how they identify them. Is is the three letters across their their back of their jersey? Their 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 country colors and there's a lot of pride there and that's that's a great thing and then the opening ceremony takes takes place and you can see that energy level of everybody having fun excited to be there it it drops and you can see the focus because they say okay this is this is now real the opening ceremony is right this light switch that flips and you know the individual teams that are that are sitting together as a team who have been laughing and smiling now get fo- focused, and you can see the seriousness on their fo- on their their face. And they walk in as a team, they get their food together as a team, they sit down, and then as the Olympic Games progresses, you and in certain sports have com- completed, they're over, they've done their finals, they've done their final game or the final match. Then you start to see athletes that are that are showing up in in casual wear. They're not wearing their team gear. They they might have a team jacket on, but they're you know they're looking to go out into the city and do some sightseeing. And you have these sports that have, that are competing against each other the entire year, so they get to know each other. And all of a sudden, you have countries that were all sitting together separately, now sitting together. And these these athletes that were fierce competitors on that field of play that wanted to beat each other, but but respect each other, now are friendly with each other. And they're sitting down, and they're telling stories, and they know each other. And these individual countries that were all sitting separately by the end of the Olympic Games, they're all sitting together, and they're all going out, and they're speaking four or five different languages, and they're they're sharing about their families, and and so the power of the Olympic Games and the Paralympic, the Paralympic Games is is massive, and it has a tremendous impact on on the globe, and and bringing these this the number of people, number of countries, over two hundred countries together, for for a peaceful competition is 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 powerful, and that's one of the things that that brings and draws really good people to the Olympic and Paralympic Games. So only a few more questions before we finish up this episode. Uh, But the first one I want to ask is, can you share an example of how a leader in your organization is significantly impacting the organization? 
you could use a, a very specific individual. It doesn't matter at what level. Um, or you could just give us a generalized answer of what of what someone's doing to better the organization. Yeah, I would say that that there's no there's no direct connection between a, a title or a role in leadership. And anybody can be a leader, whether they're you know within the organization. Um, oftentimes there's 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 the, the staff and the coaches and the athlete, but I think of the organization as a whole, and we're all part of it. We're all part of the success of it. Um, and and so when we see individuals, whether they're an athlete, a coach, a staff member, or a board member, see where there's an opportunity to be better. And it, it's it's really easy to be critical, but it's very difficult to be creative and to take ownership and to right. have an impact. And so anybody can can sit up can sit back and be a critic and point out what's wrong. I mean that's 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 you know that's easy. What's harder is to point out what's wrong, but then also identify a solution and then raise your hand and say, "Yep, I want to be part of the solution and make this a better place. I want to I want to leave this, mm-hmm. this environment a better place than when I came into it." And so um, you know that's when I see great leadership within the organization, and that's you know across the board someone identify an issue or a challenge, think of potential solutions, and then raise their hand and say, I want to I want to make this better. I want to play a role in, in, in making an improvement. Oh, that, I mean, that sounds so great. I mean, I'm sure, um, you know, there's there's lots of people that not only have bought in, but who who feel like that they're a stakeholder and that they, you know, they can voice uh what type of change they would like to see and the reason behind it. And then they will be listened uh, not only by their peers, but their superiors and, and, and even the CEO of, of the not, uh, national governing body. I mean, so that's very impressive. Uh, so now we're going to get to the important questions of, of this, uh, this episode. So if you had an open pilot position, and for those who don't know what a pilot position is, it's the driver of a bobsled. Who would you take? And and these are the different groups that I, I want you to think about. Would you take Serena Williams or Simone Biles? I, I, I gotta say Serena because size matters in in the sport of bobsled and skeleton. And so in bobsled, we want big athletes again that can push hedge, heavy objects and aren't afraid to go down a track. So um, yeah, I, I'd say Simone uh, <laughs> might be a little bit on the small side. And what about LeBron James or Tom Brady? Uh, they're both amazing. I mean, they're both amazing athletes. I had to go with uh, LeBron. I think. I think that that hand-eye coordination, um, his speed, I think is, is going to be is going to be key. So, if you had an open brakeman position, um, who would you use? Would you use Weston McKinney or Jack Hughes? Um, I'd say Jack, just because the, the winter sport and used to, used to cold weather. <laughs> so they can handle Lake Placid, getting Absolutely. off the airplane and out of the airport. Getting out in spandex and, and competing in spandex in, in minus 20 degree weather. <laughs> and then what about Katie Ledecky or Trinity Rodman? Uh, both, both solid. Katie, I mean... Katie, I gotta say, Katie's used to H two O, just in a liquid form. So we're on ice, we're we're in the water, or we're, we're on kind of on water, but frozen water there. So I'm going Katie all the way. 
<laughs> and then if you had an open skeleton position for someone to slide in, would you take Danica Patrick or Brianna Stewart? Uh, she's not another tough one there. Danica, I mean, she knows lines. She knows how to get get down a track. She knows apexes, how to, how to enter. So I'm going uh, Danica there. Aaron, thank you so much for taking the time to meet with us today. Uh, before we go, do you have a final statement to make for any athlete, coach, supporting staff, uh, high performance directors, or the athlete support structure, whether in the U.S. or around the world? Do you have any party statement for them? You know, I'll just say passion and doing something that you care a lot about is is really important. And I think it comes down to, to, to two things. Um, it's competence and character. You've got to have the confidence to be really good at what you do, but character is just as important. And and who you are and how you present yourself and how you go about doing things is just as important. And those that focus on those two areas are, are certainly going to find a lot of success, a lot of happiness, and a lot of a lot of reward out of whatever it is that they're doing. And that's a wrap for this week's episode of the Culture and Sports Podcast. We hope that this episode has started an internal dialogue or even one with your team about the importance of leadership and organizational culture. If you'd like to learn more about culture and sports, the culture and sports podcast or other programs, go to cultureandsports.com where there's a wealth of resources, articles, research, podcasts, video shows, webinars, and courses. And don't forget to connect with us on social media on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, and LinkedIn at Culture and Sports, and on Twitter at Culture in Sport. Thank you for tuning in to the Culture and Sports podcast.